Jackson keeps it. Has a first down. Has a touchdown. Lamar Jackson. Ball came loose, but the signal was given. It's a touchdown. Down blocks on the outside, so you're down here. Watch the guard pull. Here comes the tackle. I mean, you can't draw that up any better. First contact about seven yards downfield. Hey now, hey now, Steve Bennett here, Sportscasters Podcast, it is September, not for much longer, September 27th, 2022, this is season number 12, episode number 7, welcome to the show today, a great episode, now when I was away and was ready to come back, I asked a few people, who did they absolutely want me to get on the podcast this year? And the name Jay Mariotti came up over and over. He had an impactful debut on the sportscaster community in season 11. And he returns today in season 12 with opinions on everything. I'm excited for you to hear that. And that'll be up in a minute. Also today, the return of a sportscasters Hall of Famer, S.L. Price. I've had this interview for a few weeks now and been waiting for uh, the right time to put it up. And this is it. Uh, because we do talk a little bit about Italy soccer. Just a couple minutes. Nothing that you got to worry about skipping the interview if it's not interesting you. Uh, and one last thing will also be about Italy and their failure to make the World Cup and why watching the matches the last couple days have opened that wound for me and made me realize that I've been in denial and uh, I'm really upset about it. Uh, also on the show today, a book club update. We have a new book uh, to announce. Uh, which gives us three books in total in the book club right now. And I'm looking forward to all of them, actually. And one thing I'm really excited about is two of the books uh, were actually, they came to me and said, hey, Steve, we've worked together and we enjoy the work that you do and we'd like to um, see if you will work with us on these books as well. And that that feels really good. Um to be honest, and I want to give the company a shout out because it's a great, a really good um, sports book, uh, sports book company. It's called Twelve Books, and you can follow them on Instagram. They're at Twelve Books HBG, uh, and check them out, and you'll see some of the books that we've covered already. Shout out to Steph who works over there; um, she's been uh, really great to me, uh, and hopefully, it will be a partnership that. Gives us an opportunity to feature some really cool books. And you'll hear in the announcement in the book club uh, that the newest one is really cool. And uh, it involves two interviews, not just one. Uh, so really awesome there. Uh, the Saints were miserable on Sunday. Oh, my God. Sitting through it was unbearable. Uh, Jameis Winston is a disaster. Um, and it might be because he's hurt. Uh, supposedly he has broken bones in his back, which makes you think of that Mike Tyson clip all the time. And uh, also, he's recovering from an ACL, and he might not be all the way there yet. That hasn't even been a full year. That happened on Halloween. So he's still at the 11-month mark, I guess, at this point. So they were awful, um, which is too bad because the defense 
uh, really held in there. Alvin Kamara fumbled, and they returned it for a touchdown. And that was essentially the difference in the game, not to mention Will Lutz apparently can't kick anymore. He's three for six on field goals this year, uh, which isn't going to get it done. And he's going to be unemployed soon, and he's so good, too. It's scary to say that, but if he can't make field goals, he doesn't have a spot in the NFL. It's a scary thought because it was awful without him last year. And I thought, oh, he's going to come back and stabilize that position. Everything's going to be good. And that's another big reason we lost that game. Six points, one blocked, one missed. Both very makeable range. Unexcusable, really. Um, so he, 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 man, he's he's got to get better fast. And they're in London. They play at 9.30 a.m. this week. I was thinking forever the game was at 8.30 because everyone's saying 8.30, 8.30, 8.30. But I realized that was central time. Uh, so it's 9.30 here, uh, which still sucks. I, I love Sunday at 1. It's the perfect time for the game. Uh, but we'll do 9.30 this week against Minnesota and London. And it's interesting because in 2017, the last time they were in London, they went there 1-2, and two, beat the Dolphins, left 2-2, two and two, and really springboarded that era of Saints football that last four years of Drew Brees and the most wins in the league in that four-year span and um, a really a fantastic run was kicked off in London so hopefully they can do that again although I'm not as optimistic Uh, what else is going on Uh, the Sabres started training camp NHL hockey's getting closer I think about 17 days away from the NHL hockey season starting I'm looking forward to that this year hopefully the Sabres can at least play meaningful games into March and April and uh, be in the battle. I know it's a tough division. It's a tough conference, uh, but enough is enough. I'm not going to make any excuses for them. There's lots of talent. Hopefully Quinn and uh, JJ make the team out of training camp, and uh, we go young and good, and the leadership is good. Akposo has really, on the second half of that contract, been very good. Not only on the ice, but in the room with all these young guys. I think he should be the captain. Um, He's been fantastic. Uh, Dylan Cousins has been really good already in camp. has a goal. Uh, I think he can be really good, especially if he's paired with J.J. Or even Quinn. Or even both. Uh, That could be be really deadly. So I'm looking forward to the Sabres. Uh, Shout out to our friend Randy Krupski, who's a big listener of the 24-inch podcast. Which Dave and I are recording on Thursday. It's Tuesday. Dave and I are recording on Thursday. That should go up Friday. Uh, looking forward to that, the 24-inch podcast. So they're going to have to get creative in terms of Paula's involvement because Dave is going to be working until 10. Uh, Paula will be asleep. So we're going to have to find a way to record with Paula, um, even though Dave on his new job, the hours are a little different. But we'll figure all that out. But I want to give a shout-out to Randy Krupski, uh, who had his wedding the other day and is married. Congratulations to you, Randy. Uh, I wanted to talk to uh, another thing I wanted to talk about in the world of sports is the Braves and the Mets pennant race. And I mentioned this when Jeff Passon was on, but I hate these pennant races because ultimately, especially in this year. So let's go back to 1993, which is the first real meaningful pennant race that my team was in, the Braves. And they chased down the Giants all summer long. And they finally caught them. They went back and forth the last couple weeks. And the Braves won the division, 103 to 102. The Giants lost to the Rockies on the last day. The Braves won on the last day of the season. It literally went down to to game 162. And the Braves won that. And then they they were the best team in baseball. They were awesome. 
a really good team. They were gassed from that pennant race. And they lost to the Phillies, who were an inferior squad in the NLCS. And then the Phillies went on to lose the memorable World Series to the Blue Jays with the Joe Carter walk-off and all that. So then let's go to last year and the Giants and the Dodgers. And they have this unbelievable pennant race all year long. The Dodgers have, or excuse me, the Giants have a historic, surprising season. They went 105 games. They're out in front of the Dodgers. The Dodgers are chasing them, chasing them, chasing them. Um, can't catch them. Giants hold them off. They end up playing in a best of five series in the CS, which goes five games, five battles back and forth, almost like an extension of the pennant race. And the, the Dodgers win in five. And they go on to play the Braves, who they had beaten the year before in a best-of-seven series in the NLCS in seven games after the Braves went ahead 3-1. to one. Well, this time around, they were out of gas, and the Braves beat them. And I'm worried for the Braves and the Mets uh, because I'm worried all the time with pennant races like this that you scratch and claw and you play playoff baseball, which is essentially what it is, for so long uh, that you have nothing left when the playoffs come. And the Braves are injured. Ozzy Albies came back for five minutes. He had broken his foot. He was on out for two, three months. Comes back, plays one game. The next game, sliding to second base, breaks a finger. So I don't know if we'll see him again. Mike Soroka, who I was really excited about possibly coming back and adding to this team, who's already been out for two years. Uh, he's shut down due to swelling that came out of nowhere. I don't know if we'll ever even see him again. Uh, Jeff Passan makes fun of my love for Mike Soroka. Uh, but it might, he might be right. It might be time to move on from him. Also, you know, Acuna has battled that knee injury all year. He only had one at bat in the Philly series, uh, which was a big at bat, and an RBI won the game. Um, it just feels already like the team. Kaylee Jensen has been on the DL, spent time in the DL. Strider now, the rookie sensation pitcher, has been on the DL. And speaking of rookie pitchers, last night Bryce Elder became the first Braves rookie to pitch a complete game shutout since 1990. And it wasn't even anyone you would think. So Schmoltz didn't do it. Glavin didn't do it. Maddox obviously wasn't a rookie for the Braves. Steve Avery didn't do it. Uh, but Bryce Elder did last night. Look at I'm really excited about this Braves team. I think they're very good. I think they're very deep. I think they're much better than the team last year. Uh, just let's start with Ronald Acuna being there. Let's start with Grissom and Harris and Strider and Elder being there, all rookies there, four rookies. What a rookie class, right? Unbelievable. I think it's a great team. And I'm sure Mets fans would say the same thing. Wow, we love this team. They're so good. Finally, under Steve Cohen, this team's going to be a a winning team, and, and it's a magical season and unbelievable. I'm just worried for both of them. And whoever doesn't win the division is going to have to play in the new wild card round which is a best of three all games at home potentially play three games there and if you survive it's the Dodgers right who have basically played no meaningful baseball yet this year which uh, that scares me too uh, they've been so far ahead of everyone all season long and they'll be waiting for whoever does not win the NL the NL East in the NLDS so scary scary stuff there also I've seen about 30 Aaron Judge at-bats the last couple days waiting for home run 61. And I'll be honest, I was really hoping he would hit it on Apple TV when the game was on Apple TV and there was all that drama, including the ridiculous, ridiculous attorney general of the state of New York. Just an absolute disaster. 
um, complaining about, oh, the, the citizens of New York pay their cable bills and expect to see the game. It's like, come on. The Yankees have been on Amazon all year long. You know, this is how it is. Leagues pay their get income from revenue streams from various TV packages, including the one with Apple TV. And I don't blame Apple TV for holding the line there. They finally had something that everyone wanted, something that potentially could create downloads and signups and things like that. And they offered the game for free. Um, So all you needed to do is have Wi-Fi and a phone or a tablet or a computer or whatever. Uh, and I know that it's difficult for someone, say my, my, my uncle and my grandmother are Yankees fans. How did they watch that? I'm sure they didn't, you know, I'm surprised I didn't get a call. Hey, Steve, can you, but I didn't. And I get that. I get some of the generational stuff. I get someone like Jimmy Trina who just doesn't want to deal with it. I understand all of that, but I also understand why Apple held the line and didn't share that. But poor judge, he's stuck at one, uh, at 60, trying for 61 to try to time Maris. 61 is an iconic number in the history of American sports. I'm surprised at some people who don't think it's a big deal. I think from here to eternity, anytime anyone gets to 61, it's a big deal. Because for so many years, 61 was the number. Such an iconic uh, part of sports. So I'm excited for him to hit it. And I've watched basically every at-bat he's had since he got onto 60. And last night was extremely frustrating with him up in the bottom of the 10th or top of the 10th inning in Toronto and they walked them intentionally and the strategy worked and the Yankees didn't walk Guerrero in the bottom half of the inning and he made them pay and won the game which was a really poor managerial decision and I think the Yankees are managed incredibly poorly uh, and I think their GM is poor and I think they need to make changes there um, if they want to be the team that surely they can be and I can't believe that they're in the position that they are with Judge and him potentially not resigning and of course the now the Ravens are potentially in that same position with Lamar Jackson, uh, who is trying to equal the walk year of Aaron Judge, and he's off to a, an incredible start uh, the way he's played and the way he played Sunday. And I think he's had a few five-touchdown games and 300 yards and 100-yard rushing games. He's really unique talent. And it seemed like they had he was, the, he was on the perfect team in the sense that the Ravens had built the team in the perfect way to get the best out of Lamar. And him and Mark Andrews, such a lethal combination. The Sooner, the OU boy. By the way, they lost. Put a fork in that team. They stink anyway. But, yeah, uh, Lamar could equal Judge in both having two of the best walk years in their sport and making the Yankees and Ravens respectively pay for not uh, getting those contracts, which seem like no-brainers done before uh, the player bet on themselves and cash the chips. So we'll see. All right. So we're going to take a break in a second. Jay Mariotti will be with us next. And then we'll do the book club update. Like I said, we have a new book there. Then we will talk to SL Price. And then one last thing about the wound that's left behind uh, from March when Italy failed to qualify for the World Cup. And I'll tell you why that's hurt the most the last couple of days and my thoughts there. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back with Jay Mariotti. Our first guest today, 
uh, rose to stardom on ESPN's Around the Horn. And he's really one of the great living sports writers today. And he lives in Los Angeles now. He's a graduate of Ohio University. And he's making his second appearance on the podcast today. Oh, warm sportscasters, welcome to Jay Mariotti. Hey, Jay, welcome back, my man. How you doing today? Steve, it's uh, great to be with you. Uh, I'm glad you're doing well. Thank and, you. Uh, there's plenty to talk about as usual, right? Sure is. Fall is such a fun time uh, for a sports fan with the, all the football back. It's just about time for baseball playoffs, hockey and basketball start up. It's really a loaded time. What is the – you're in Los Angeles, so I'm interested about this because it seems like the Chargers exist – so that road teams can go watch their team play in LA. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the Rams, uh, lesser extent of that, although it sure did seem like uh, many of my neighbors here in Buffalo made a point to be there last week. But what is the general mood in the city around football and the football teams from your perception? Oh, do the Chargers exist? That That's the mood. <laughs> and even though... They have a, a, a franchise quarterback. I hope he's well, yeah. as you speak, Justin Herbert, mm-hmm. who might ascend uh, to the Hall of Fame uh, in, 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 in quick order. I mean, yeah, that, that's how good he is. Yep. And the Rams, keep in mind, Steve, the, these two teams, the Rams left for 20 years. This, this market didn't have professional football for 20 years. It's a market that is largely about the Dodgers and the Lakers anyway. So when they, you know, when the Rams came back and this monstrous stadium goes up in Inglewood, the general feeling was, oh, you left once. Now, why should we support you? You better go out and win a Super Bowl. Well, they did. Right. And now people are interested and they're, and they're connected to the Rams. But the Chargers, you're so right. If you're ever thinking about buying season tickets here, as I've thought about you you go buy Chargers tickets. They're cheaper. It's easier to get in and out of the place. But you're right. They've got to uh, reestablish at the line of scrimmage how they deal with noise from Buffalo Bill fans or Green Bay fans or Cincinnati fans. What it 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 is an away game experience for the Chargers, and that's why it's kind of a shame. It's a lot like the Clippers and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to see Justin Herbert playing for the Chargers. Uh, and yet, right now, I might tell you, even though they lost last night, if he's okay, I still think they have a better shot of getting to a Super Bowl than the, than the Rams do this year. Yeah, I think you could be right about that from a talent standpoint, but I think that much more difficult path in the AFC, maybe, than the NFC, which seems to be a little bit more open. Do Would you agree with that? Well, even in that division. Right. Uh, oh it, yeah. It, well, the, yeah. yeah. The, yeah. The, the NFC with with Green Bay having its issues, and uh, you're right. The NFC is almost like the JV league this year. Yeah, it's wide whereas open. Whereas in the AFC, mm-hmm. you're loaded. But yep. I would still say your Bills, not so my far, Bills, anyway. but the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. Well, okay, the <laughs> Buffalo Bills. Don't put them on me. It, yeah, that's what's great. Yeah. In the in the it's great to see them come out here in the six billion dollar stadium. And in, in, in Buffalo is what the 29th market in in TV size, I size, believe. Yep, and, yep. And, and New Orleans, and, and, I think, are the bottom two. Yeah, right. And the in the franchise, the, the valuations just came out, and and they're they're worth about what half the Dallas Cowboys are. 
And yet they come out here and they spank the Rams and make make a great point. It was not like the Cincinnati Bengals coming here for the Super Bowl and nearly winning it. it, it, it it's great. That it reminds us why the NFL works. It works because of revenue sharing, because these monstrous TV deals that are signed are split between 32 teams equally. And if you're smart about how you spend your money, and and how you draft, as the Bills have been, you can uh, suddenly challenge for a Super Bowl. So it's it's great to see the Buffalo story in a league of these behemoths uh, like the Rams and like the Cowboys, and and why it's so ridiculous to see the Cowboys once again looking like a bad football team and a bad front office operation, despite being valued by Forbes and these other yeah, uh, measures. As yeah, as, well, I think it's eight. The latest eight, is eight okay. billion, yeah, and that that makes the Cowboys not only the richest team in the NFL and in American sports, but in the world. And yet, yet crash once <laughs> again. So, so that's why it's great to see Buffalo uh, doing well. Took them twenty years, but hey, uh, let's talk. You know what I'm curious about now? You can read Jay's work. He's one of the best sports writers in America, and he always has been. And you can read his work on on Substack, which. Uh, we talked to Joe Poznanski recently, another one of the great ones. He's on Substack now. So Substack has become this great place to read great sports writers, which I'm appreciative of as someone who likes to consume them. Uh, but I'm interested in really finding out what is getting your juices going right now. So let me ask you some things, and I want to see how invested in them you are. First one I want to know about is Aaron Judge. Are you into his home run chase? And to you, what is he chasing? Is it the the Yankees record, the American League record? Do you believe it's bonds? Like, where are you with Judge and the home run race and all those things? How does that push Jay Mariotti's buttons? I hope, I pray that he's clean. I see no reason to think he's not. Uh, MLB has very stringent testing procedures these days. That's not to say, as we've seen in any number of cases, including Fernando Tatis Jr., that guys still aren't juicing. I'm not stupid, but, they get but I would like to believe. Yeah, I, yeah, I would like to believe this six-seven, two hundred and eighty-pound behemoth is indeed going after the all-time real record, non-asterisk record of sixty-two. That's okay. what I'm looking That's at here. At. Okay. I would like. To, I don't want to. You know, I had to live through the Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds. Uh, fiasco. I sat in those press boxes. I wanted to hold my nose. I knew it was going on, especially with the Buns. You'd go to San Francisco and he's here constantly, you know, you know, wincing himself as he's watching this. And here's Barry breaking records and he's fans cheering and he realized it was a hoax. Well, whereas now, you know, we're a couple of decades ahead of that. And here comes Aaron Judge. And you really want to believe this is real. And the same goes Albert Pujols, who's chasing 700. Max 700, Kellerman goes on right. TV the other day, and, and Max insinuates, I know Max, I used to do a TV show with him, he insinuates Albert's on the juice. No proof of that. That I think that's what I'm focused in on. I'm trying to enjoy the great American home run again after uh, years of trusting it anymore. And I sure hope that down the road we'll find out these two cases this is also a hoax but for now until i see more proof uh i'm just going to enjoy it and and also um give judge his props for uh believing in himself he bet yeah. on himself 
and and the Yankees are now going to have to end up over three hundred million. And I would suspect a team like San Francisco, which needs a push now, needs a superstar. Uh, they're far behind the Dodgers now in terms of star power and also in the standings. He's from Northern California. I would expect the Giants to make a major, major run at him. In an article in the uh, San Francisco Chronicle last week, Judge uh, seemed also awfully enthusiastic about you know his boyhood rooting for the Giants, and you know it makes a lot of sense. And and so a lot like Lamar Jackson in the NFL. We're seeing a major athlete tell his current team, uh, shove it, I'm going to go out and prove I'm worth a hell of a lot more money, and that's exactly what he has done. No matter if he breaks this record or not, Roger Maris, uh, Aaron Judge is, is also here for uh, a huge deal. Interesting. Let me get you your temperature on this one. So it's a new playoff format this year. Um, the three wild card teams and the third division winner are going to have to play a three-game series, which will be all at the site of the higher seed. So they won't. It's all three games are in one park. Uh, and as I look around at the standings, as we get the push towards the playoffs, about three weeks left or so, a little bit less than that. Um, how interested are you in, like, let's say, for example, the Braves and the Mets? Does it matter to you much who finishes where? I know it matters to them and their pitching rotations and things like that. But just in terms, uh, as a sports fan, as a sports writer, how do you feel like the playoff format has impacted your interest in the particular races around Major League Baseball, which admittedly there's not a ton of uh, this year, although Braves and Mets does kind of jump off the page sort of the way Dodgers and Giants did last year? Well, the National League, if you're counting the Cardinals, and maybe it's time we should, because look at them, Mm -hmm. uh, you've got four serious contenders and yet as you point out two of them get buys and then all of a sudden two have to go at it immediately uh, the cardinals as the number three seed would 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 get the the lowest of the, right. the wild cards but nonetheless you get the braves or the mets the loser of that pennant race to uh to suddenly have to play and and you know here are the mets you look at i know out here even though the Dodgers cannot lose, even when they try, they cannot lose. It's there. There's there's a lot of concern about Craig Kimbrell, their closer. Uh, you know their their rotation. You don't have Bueller. They're going to be real. They're still very deep, obviously, because they spend their money wisely. Yet I won't sit here and tell you, oh, the Dodgers are a lock to get to the World Series. I will not say that at all because I think if Scherzer and Degrom are healthy. I, I could see the Mets beating the Dodgers in a, in a series. And the Braves, they tend to ebb and flow a bit. You can't really get a handle on them. We saw a year ago what they did, and and they have new and they're better this, this year. year. Their team is better this year than last year. Yeah. I would say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking anything goes in the National League, whereas the American League, you know, remember, I'm, I worked in Chicago 17 years, yep. and that story is beyond belief right now what is going on there. The, the rest of it, you know, the Yankees had their issues. Now they seem to right at the ship. But I'm not locked in on the Yankees either getting to a World Series by any means. I think that's more of a Houston uh, situation. You've got to beat the Astros, then, uh, and you may see that series. Again. And the Yankees but never White beat the Sox. Astros, right? I mean, that's been exactly. there. Yeah. And, and Aaron Boone, if he doesn't this year, you're going to have a major shade. He will not return as manager, so a lot of drama there. But right now, really, the only serious drama in baseball is Tony La Russa, 
and and what is happening there. And uh, they 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 trot in Miguel Cairo all year long. I've even written about it from out here. It, it's apparent that it was a bad idea to bring in Tony. You just uh, you, you need a leader to connect to a clubhouse of 20-somethings and, in some cases, 30-somethings. And I'm sorry, I don't care who he is. At 77, going on 78 years old, you can't connect. And we've seen yeah, too worked. many lapses in mm. judgment. It's been a disaster. But they're nipping on the heels of the Guardians, who are a great story. Lots of kids. Uh, they changed their name. And all of a sudden, bam, they may actually get in. But, you know, they I still believe they have three games left, the Sox and, and the Guardians. And to me, that's it's fascinating drama. This team in Chicago that made its fans years on a rebuild, and finally here they are. They're supposed to contend for a championship, and they're trying to fend off this young team in Cleveland who's changed its nickname. I mean, it's it's crazy. But that's the only thing really that intrigues me about baseball until until the postseason begins. They have three games left. You're right about that. The 20th, 21st, and 22nd. Interesting thing for the Guardians, which may be an advantage to them. They have six games to end the year with the Royals. Six, their last six games are against the Royals in Cleveland. So that could... It's such a crap division. It, yep. It's not fair. It, it, at least in this sense, it's, it's good they expanded the playoffs. Because you wouldn't want Seattle or Tampa Bay being knocked out with a better record than the winner of the Central Division. Right. So that's a good thing. I'm not always a fan of expanding playoffs. because In this case, we're going to be starting a season at the end of March, and it, now it's going to extend into early November. Right. So if the Mets do it in, imagine the weather issues – or the Yankees in New York or mm-hmm. even Cleveland, figure out the rest of, of, of what you're dealing with if if a cold-weather team is playing in a World Series in November. Yeah, and people always think about the 86 World Series, Game 6, Wookie, uh, getting the hit and going through Buckner. They had to wait how many games to play Game 7 because of the weather uh, in New York uh, back then even. So it definitely has been an issue over the years. We'll see. So it seems like you're pretty interested in the baseball, pretty juiced up. Uh, for that stuff. That all seemed to go over pretty well. Let's see what you're into in terms of college football. How into the college football have you been so far? What about the college season has interested you so far? Is it the big upsets like an Appalachian State uh, stealing the uh, game day uh, bid from Texas A&M? Um, is it uh, seeing Alabama and Texas play? Uh, what's kind of fired you up so far about college football, and what are you looking ahead with, to? With with so much money now swirling around college football, with with the NIL. you know NIL mm-hmm. and and franchise realignment dominating the storylines, money, 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 money. Of course, it's wonderful when App State, which by the way is this beautiful stadium in Boone, North Carolina, built in the side of a hill. <laughs> great story. They were a great story when they bounced Michigan several years ago, App State, and now they do it this year again. So anytime, I think you can tell, I like it when supposed small fries rise up and beat the behemoths. I love that. that, that who wouldn't love that? A&M recruited the number one class. Of course, Nick Saban ratted right. out his, he had his, his former guy, Jimbo yeah. Fisher, yep. and then Jimbo fired back and ratted out Nick, and they play soon. And, you know, it's to me, it's been a chaotic season, and that makes it fun. But, Steve, ultimately, I have a feeling 
NIL will be the story right here in L.A. with USC because they, they raided Oklahoma yeah. for Lincoln Riley, and mm-hmm. he brings his quarterback, Caleb Williams. And if you were watching he's the other day, it was a Monday Night Football. He's got his own commercial already on Monday Night Football. So right. there you go. I mean, you so you knew this was going to happen. USC, there's so much wealth out here sure. uh, tethered to USC, wealth and power. They're just these collectives out here. Even though the athletic department, which has always been mired in scandal, the entire university is mired in scandal, they're saying, oh, we're trying to keep this on the up and up. No, you aren't. <laughs> Just look at how they rated Pitt for Addison, the best receiver in the country. They rated poor Pitt. So their coach called Riley, and he was all upset. So I think that, you know, when you when you live out here and you come out, you've been out here, and it's yep. any 18-year-old kid well, let's take you over to Rich Paul and LeBron James and have lunch, you know, at CAA or what. You know, there's just too much you can woo a kid with out here. Texas is going to be the same way. Yeah, There's a I great story I read today. I yeah, see. yeah the, the Athletic had a story today yeah. about how they wooed Arch Manning. Uh-huh. It, it, it's insane. They put up these parents with open bars. Like, <laughs> limos, and you can do that now. It's all legal. Yeah. So I have a feeling happen here and a very weak Pac-12 USC is going to dominate get back to the uh, Final Four and then of course where's the national title game this year so five stadium so ultimately I think USC is going to be a team that people tend to hate for these very reasons there's nothing wrong with having a villain but I think your same old same old your your Alabama your will be there but Clemson seems to have fallen up a bit and is no longer going to be considered, you know, elite. They're, they're struggling. I think Dabo may end up in the NFL one day. Um, and, but, but I'd like to see more variety in the year, but I'm afraid Steve, you know, the variety is going to be USC and it's, it's going to be something that where you, when you watch this transfer portal QB throwing, to a transfer portal receiver, you're going to kind of get sick of it in a hurry. Yeah. It will be interesting with USC, UCLA moving, and then Oklahoma, Texas moving to see. Interesting to see how that settles. All right. Let's move to the NFL. So you're a sports media guy. For many years, you were on TV. You've written. You've done it all. How interested are you in the great 2021-22 NFL announcer shuffle? Are you into the booths and seeing how L does it? Amazon Prime and how, you know, Buck and Aikman do on Monday night and, uh, you know, Romo and Nance are the same, but we got a new top group at Fox with Burkhart and Olsen. How are into you are the broadcasts and the booze? Is that something that gets Jay Marriott, Marriott fired up or not? I, I'm interested. I'm not convinced that the world as a whole is all that interested. I, <laughs> I know I am. I'm a, I'm a dork. Though. When you consider, yeah, and yeah. I am because we're in the industry, yeah. but my my standard line about sports media, I, I think only sports media care about sports media. And these <laughs> stories are everywhere. My God, the New York Post now has three sports media writers. I mean, it's just, wait a minute. This <laughs> is a little bit uh, disproportionate to, I think, common interest in this. I think, you got to remember, last night, I, I, you know, I, you know, we can talk about streaming. In L.A., because the Chargers were in the game, the game right. actually was over the air on Channel right. 11. Yep. So, so I actually, rather than break down, I will. In fact, I will today because the game was so good and you, you can't – the teams are just too good. The storylines are too good. 
yeah, I'll lay out the Amazon Prime money, even though I've really never had any reason to have it otherwise. But uh, I, I, I was interested in Michael's, in, in Ryan Fitzpatrick's blue suit, and, and Herb Street being in a pro booth. Yeah, all of that interests me. And I don't know, though, if the guy in the seat next to me at the bar at the restaurant cared who was doing the game. I don't know if he cares so much. When Romo, two, three years ago, was at the height of his powers, and everybody was talking about him because he seemed to be the per- the guy you'd want to sit next to at a football game. He was every man. All right, well, now he's had some lapses. and now So ESPN, which has struggled to have any sort of big feel on Monday Night Football, so they go, you know, Troy and, and Joe are not happy at Fox. That's, that's the storyline nobody talks about. You know, they weren't happy at Fox. They didn't like their boss. I don't know how many times Aikman has said he never communicated with me. Then Buck comes out this week and says, well, I, they never communicated. Well, what's going on there? I think they wanted Tom Brady all along. They kind of tiptoed them, at least Troy, out the door. And then Joe didn't like how his buddy was being treated. And then he leaves. And he or said I as much on this podcast. A, yeah, he said that basically. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. exactly. And yeah. I think it's kind of a lesser position. I mean, yeah, I watched the other night, and, and they did a good job as usual. But I think Fox is, has such a stronghold on the NFL. Uh, I think Joe took a step back, and now he doesn't do baseball anymore because he doesn't want to. So, I don't know. I think those angles interest me. But, Steve, I don't know if they interest the guy walking on the street. He's just more interested in winning his bet or, or, or his team winning I don't really think when it comes down to, to it, they really care who's doing the game in the booth. Well, let me ask you this because you mentioned it. And a few years ago, Tony Romo was basically slapped in the hand and yelled at by Goodell for going to like a fantasy football conference in Vegas. And now here we are, and there's practically ads for gambling companies on the jerseys now. Um, what do you think about the way gambling has kind of stormed uh, the country with the reversal on the law in the Supreme Court and now it? extending out to so many other states and in New York here, I think they took the lead as the number one um, gambling state. Uh, they had so much of it last month. Uh, what do you think about the way the NFL and sports in general has responded to the expanding gambling market? And what are your thoughts on its effect on uh, football specifically? I'm disgusted and I'm concerned for problem gamblers. And if we're growing a whole new generation of, kids who are problem gamblers. You don't have to do much research to realize the vulnerable group are, are teenagers, kids in college. Uh, you know, I could tell you stories uh, of friends of mine who got into gambling when they were young and, and it ruined their lives. And I don't think there's been enough attention paid to that. Oh, if you look at the fine print or, or the, you hear the guy on the radio ad, you know, he'll read the disclaimer uh, if you have a gambling problem, you, well, you Call know, this to me, number. I think, you know, uh, come on. I think Congress needs to get involved the way it did with big tobacco. This is big gambling, and you need to put big warnings out there. Now, the NFL, I think, pitched in $6 million for problem gambling studies. Well, to them, that's a couple of pennies. They're not. They don't care. I mean, they, otherwise, they, they would not have approved. Having, what is it, six to eight gambling ads per 
game? Right. I mean, that's like waving cocaine in front of somebody. I mean, what, what, why do you need more money? Why would you approve this? Do you really need partnerships with DraftKings and all these other? Do you really need that? That's what I would ask Roger Goodell. Why? Are you that greedy? Do you not understand that you, at some, sometimes I'm sitting here wondering if we've entered this realm where the idea of basic athletic competition has been superseded by who wins the bet? That's, that's not why I watch sports. I'm not a gambler. I, I enjoy the game itself. But all you're doing is growing an entirely new generation of gamblers. And it's getting us away from sports as competition, and it's pushing us more toward, uh, as you're seeing in media now, uh, more and more media companies going to media gambling writers. And I don't know if a 21-year-old kid getting in his business right now might have to go you know, bone up on on gambling yep. as part of his gig. Might be where the and, money and is. To me, that's yeah. that's frightening. Yeah. That's I don't I couldn't tell somebody I can't pick games to save my life. I'm not gonna sit there professionally and try to pretend like I'm gonna tell somebody how to use their hard earned money to bet on this game. That that really should not be a function of a journalist, but I don't think journalism exists anyway anymore. So yeah, I'm 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 disgusted how they have all just just plunged headfirst into it. Every league, including MLB, even though Pete Rose is still banned for life, so much hypocrisy attached to this stuff. So uh, yeah, you can tell I get pretty riled up about it. Happened fast too. You know, my brothers and I always talk about because they're they're barstool fans because they're the age for that. You know that they and I get nervous about the way Dave Portnoy, who has unlimited money kind of advertises his betting and you know puts these up big amounts and they video him cheering on his bets and things like that they're so influential you know and they're the owners too which is really weird you know what i mean it's weird that the owners of the casino are betting so publicly in the casino and then broadcasting it to the audience that they've built and it's so loyal to them it makes me a little nervous personally uh, oh, I'm I'm nervous about you know Adrian Wojnarowski, and I'm gonna I pronounced it correctly. One of my pet peeves is can we get these ESPN uh, everybody on ESPN to do a Woj pronunciation study because it's always Adrian Wojnarowski. You get it right. <laughs> That's why I call him Woj. Woj. I can't screw it up. Woj Narowski. Woj exactly. All right. My concern is that Schefter and Woj are so close to this stuff. If I were their boss, Jimmy Pitaro, I would be constantly monitoring this. I'm not saying I don't trust either guy. What I'm saying is they are vulnerable to extortion. They are vulnerable to uh, inside information, using inside information, using it for their friends. You saw the NBA draft how um, Woj uh, put out a, an initial tweet that uh, Orlando would be taking, uh, I believe, Smith. Is that his name? Yeah. The Auburn kid. Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, and then it changed quickly uh, to Paulo Bancaro. Well, what, huh? In that, like, 12, 15-hour period of time, if Woj, again, I'm not suggesting anything here, but if Woj wanted... Do you realize the kind of money he could have made with that inside information and waited on reporting that story? 
and gone right to one of these places, right. and not all states I understand take NBA draft bets. But some do. Right. I don't think Nevada does, but I think some do. Just think of the amount of money. I would never at ESPN put my guy in that position. And you've got to do some real thinking here about uh, reporting inside information versus gambling and how you could profit from it. And I, I honestly believe we're headed in a situation where, uh, my God, as it is, ESPN employs guys, uh, Doug Kazarian, is that it? Doug was, was uh, you know, is a gambling guy. He hosts a show. He won uh, last year and was thrilled and put it all with, I think he won $3 million in a bet. And I'm like, whoa. You know, yeah. he's got, as an ESPN guy, inside information. Sure. And maybe the entire idea of ethics has gone out the window as TV networks chase the same billions. Does anybody care anymore? But if you're going to have credibility as a news-gathering organization, and they still claim they are, and I guess they are, they still employ Don Van Natta Jr., who is a phenomenal investigative reporter. I wonder how Don Van Natta feels about you know, because it's just, it's sleazy, it's slimy. And you, you know, and there seem to be so many different divisions of the SPN news, gambling, television, radio. Like, what, what are you? I mean, it's too big, I think. So I don't know. Yeah, I, you can tell again, once again, I'm concerned about gambling and its influence yeah. on sports in, in this century. And I don't know where the hell it's headed. Sportscaster here with Jay Mariotti at Mariotti Sports on Twitter, jmariotti.substack.com for his columns. What did I miss? So we talked about the baseball, the few stories there. We talked a little football, college and pro. We talked gambling. As we head into the fall here and you open your notebook, what do you think is going to be dominating your columns, dominating your screens, dominating your time, your thoughts? What are the other things you're going to be following here? As we go from fall to winter and we do the, oh, it's Halloween. Oh, it's Thanksgiving. Holy shit, it's Christmas. Wow, it's New Year's. What are you going to be? It's an NFL nation followed by college football. And we're in the thick of that. And in the middle of that, the NBA uh, has storylines. This is going to be always your Kevin Durant in Brooklyn. How that's going to work out and what Kyrie going to do tomorrow and what it's just fascinating, Steve, how you, you think about this. And I realize now why so many media people take summers off or most of the summers, because it builds to this crescendo in the fall where it all hits you at once. And that's what's happening now. The start of the NFL season, we had some crazy stories just this week. Nathaniel Hackett was, was Herbert left in the game too long last night. Right. Uh, the, the, the missed kicks. Why don't why don't teams take kickers more seriously? It is football. Uh, you know, I, the, the NFL is always going to dominate everyday conversation. College football, there are so many fans around the country. It's number two. And then here comes the baseball playoffs. Well, you and I might be interested, but we've seen the ratings. Not many Americans are tuning in. It's just, in you know, they're way too late here on the rules changes. I've been screaming for a pitch clock for 20 years. Oh, uh, they announced. When did they announce it? Oh, the first Friday of the NFL season. Why didn't you? Why, why didn't you give it for? Waiting for the clock forever in baseball. They just don't know what they're doing, and they get locked out. Even though October should be a special time in this country as baseball time, it's not. 
and then the NBA season starts. Summer in this is the NHL, which I, I love teams. There's nothing more thrilling than being in an arena at a hockey game. We just had the U.S. Open tennis in which Carlos Alcaraz turns on the world and reminds us these other guys are getting old and Federer retires a few days later. Right. It, it's, and then you've got, you know, live golf versus the PGA Tour. Will and, you get into the World Cup? And, Will you get into the World and Cup? In the beginning of the World Cup coming yeah. up. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. You know, all this is a big crunch. And if you're a sports fan, it's it's the time of your life. It, it's, it's just, to me, it, it it's just the way it works. All of these leagues are... 12-month leagues now, especially the NFL in regard to a news flow. But the NBA has become that, really. And uh, it's it's crazy, Steve. It's it's a great time to be in the sports media. However, you, you got to make sure you get to the right place and where you're working in the sports media. Make sure they're not compromised in regard to gambling and all that. And I don't know how many at this point aren't compromised. Even the Boston Globe, the Philadelphia Inquirer, these long, long-standing newspapers now have cut deals with gambling companies. It's uh, The Athletic has a deal with a gambling company. They just uh, caved into advertising for the first time. They yeah, these colonnades over there. Yeah, <laughs> Even though they told people, well, we're not going to have any ads. We'll take your uh, $59 and we won't have any ads. Well, all of a sudden, oh, here are the ads. It's mm-hmm. the same ad. Oh, does the now <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable so anyway it would be if you're again i go back to a 21 year old kid in college yeah just but you've got a lot of decisions to make what kind of sports media person you want to be and uh i just don't know the traditional joe posnanski way right my way write columns i don't know those columnists just there aren't that many anymore and uh, it's the business is changing. I would say it's really important to have watchdog journalists more important than ever, simply because of the gambling element and the way that leagues have just caved into the gambling influence. Now, more than ever, there, there's a prospect for, for, for scandal. I mean, the, the, the Netflix just had the Tim Donahue yes. uh, documentary. I don't think we can have enough of those just to remind people of how easy it is to, to, to scandalize sports. Well, it's Mariotti Sports on Twitter, like I said, and there's nothing like a great sports column, and he writes great ones a few times a week, and you can find those on Substack, more specifically, jmariotti.substack.com. Do you have any questions for me, Jay? How's your podcast doing? Because you get, when we first connected a couple of years ago, I mean, there was a major story yeah. written about you. I, yeah, last Sports yeah. Illustrated, Sports right? Illustrated, yeah, John Warren. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm just curious how, how you know, it's, it's so, podcasting is perilous uh, uh, territory, yet if you strike it big and it, it appeared that you were on your way, uh, <laughs> you know, it's lucrative. I'm just wondering how, how it's, it's going in regard to everything we've talked about, and I, you know, in terms yeah. of the influences of gambling and and just the big boom era of sports, as I call it, how's your podcast doing? Well, it certainly didn't help that to, to take seven months off because of my health. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but and because Sorry of that, that's all right. It's nothing I couldn't handle. Um, many people have it worse. I'm not complaining. And I do have to be conscious of that when I consider opportunities that do come up because before I take anyone's money, I want to make sure that when I take it, I can deliver what they are expecting you know so i have to be very careful but uh joe buck was on one of the first uh, episodes back and um 
uh, not only did Awful Announcing pick up on it, but you mentioned how the New York Post has three meteorites now. They have so many meteorites. They wrote something about me. Uh, so that buzz uh, helped with uh, between Awful Announcing and the Post and Audacity Sports and a few other people that picked up on it. So the podcast is doing well, and it, it's a passion project anyway. Um, it's something I love to do and to talk to. Uh, the, you know, the Bucks and the Mariottis and the Al- Kenny Alberts and all the great people who come on. Um, and I love to do it. And my daughter uh, pops in and out every once in a while, hangs out with me and does it. Then people love that. I get geez, more more emails about Paula, it seems like, than anything else. Because uh, people just love uh, her enthusiasm. But um, yeah, it's great. It's a great, it's a great outlet for me. And I love to do it. And uh, even though everyone does, I remember when I started, Jay, uh, Peter King was on episode 20 and I asked him to be on. He's like, yeah, I'll be on, but I don't know what you're talking about. Like you got to give me more information. Cause I don't, I heard podcast, but I don't know what that means. And so that was, the, <laughs> that, that was the challenge then. Right now the challenge is, is it's like there's 800,000 of them and everyone's got one and everyone that you want to have on is on everyone else's. And how do you make yours unique? So the challenges of it have shifted from the early days of, having to explain to people what it is and how they can consume it and where to get it. And that was a big challenge to now it's the challenge of how does yours stick out? Why is yours? If I have three hours a week to listen to podcasts, why should I spend any time with yours? Because, you know, not only were there, is there the million that existed before the pandemic pandemic came, 800,000 new ones came up. And then the research showed that the amount of time spent on podcasts went down because commutes were gone. So it's uh, there's always an interesting challenge, but for me, it's great. I love to do it. It's really fun, and I love spending well, shit forty you're minutes good on at a Friday. It. I mean, you're you. you're very I mean, the key, the key is is keeping up with everything, and you do that. I mean, I've heard podcasts that yeah, they're, they're relying simply on the interview, but the interviews are kind of pedestrian. And but you're you're up on everything. You know exactly what to ask, and uh, I think that's. I don't think that has changed in this business. I think. It's it's really about knowing what you're talking about, having some balls, and 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 and, and, and trying to remain independent because it's it's so easy to follow traps where you're not uh, you're beholden to this sure. system for this or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think you know you're just it seems like you're landing uh, big guests and that's that's terrific. And I I root for guys like you because you 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 work at it hard. You're not just half-assed at it. So. You know, just key. I would suggest take it for what it's worth. You continue to land the bigger guests. I did a podcast recently, and, and they they, you know, striving to shoot for big guests, uh, and and that's what you're doing. And yeah. I I would assume that's what's going to make a sports podcast uh, stand out is when you get Joe Buck on and he makes some news, and he usually does when when he does an interview. Um, then then it spreads from there. It's at Mariotti Sports, jmariotti.substack.com. Anything else you want to promote? I want to make sure I give you that opportunity. No, I'm, yeah. I'm good. I'm just okay. I'm loving life out here, and I, I'm glad. Thanks for the opportunity to do a, to, to talk. And you know, I'm just I'm you know my my you know, career. We've talked about yeah, it. we did. Uh, I went from age twenty at a major American newspaper, if you count the internship the year before, sure. I mean, it goes, it goes from 19 to my mid fifties in which, and I'm not patting myself on the back, but I, 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 
I dare anybody to say they wrote more columns than I did in that span. I started as a columnist at 25, and I worked at it probably way too hard, way too much, just went at it too hard. So in this at this stage of my life, I'm interested in enjoying. I'm looking out the window. It looks about 74 and mm-hmm. not a cloud in the sky, and I, I enjoy that because I uh, spent 17 years in Chicago and grew up in Pittsburgh and went to school in Ohio with Peter King, by the way. And, uh, and so it's a different, it's it's just a different stage. However, I I would tell you, I enjoy writing as much as I ever have. I think that comes through in the columns. In fact, some people say to me, you seem to be writing better than ever. Well, thanks if that's true, but maybe it's because I'm not clogged up in, in, in the, the, the BS of the business. When your head, when your head is clear completely and you can just independently write and you write your own headline and you, you know, all that, you'd be surprised how uncluttered that is and how you you feel like, Hey, I can write this in it. It's not going to cause a stir here. It's not going to mean a trouble with some owner. And it's not going to give me a, it's just, you're just writing. And that's the way every writer should be from Ernest Hemingway to a blogger at 15 years old. You should be uncluttered. You should write independently and then your best work will be done but when you get stuck in the in the uh hierarchy of newspapers that are dying or tv networks that that have their you know ethical conflicts or whatever it's very difficult sometimes to do your best work i'm not saying you can't but your your company has to have your back at all times and you you're seeing guys excel in sports media and, and latch onto it for, and have it for a long time. But they're mostly guys like Joe Buck. You've got to be at the upper reaches of television, sports casting. But to be a written word guy or a podcasting guy or whatever, it's really tough these days. I'm kind of glad, Steve, I was in the era right. I was in because I don't think I could have done what I did in that era, and that was speak my mind independently. I don't think I could do that now. It's it's just not there's too many people at the top of your companies uh, compromised, and and they're basically in bed with sports. So that's usually my message to you when we talk, <laughs> and, and it hasn't changed. But what I what I'll tell you is I'm having more fun writing than I than I ever have. Well, I said it when you were on last time, and I'll say it this time, and I've said it when you're not on. I think word for word, you're one of the best American sports writers in the history of it, and I encourage everyone wow. to go to the Substack, jmariotti.substack.com, and check out the columns because the fastball is still there. You know, like when I, when I got to start watching Nolan Ryan, he was well into his career, but the fastball, right, was still there. And uh, uh, you're into the career quite a bit, but the fastball's there, so I encourage everyone to check out the columns. Uh, and it's nice if you follow my Mariotti Sports. He provides the links, and you just got to go from the link right to there. It couldn't be easier to find and access. And uh, I appreciate you doing this. Last time you were on, we spent a lot of time going over your story and all that. But I like this time just talking sports. It was fun. Let's do it again soon. Well, your words very kind. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and uh, any anytime, just yell. And uh, if I don't talk to you soon, happy holidays and be well. And uh, we'll do this again soon. Could've used a few pounds Tight pants, points, hollering out 
cat beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high I want to thank Jay Mariotti for being on the podcast today. Okay, book club. Quick update. We got a new book this week. We'll get to that in a second. But first, I want to remind you about Long Road. Pearl Jam and the Soundtrack of a Generation. It's by Stephen Hyden, the author of This Isn't Happening. Hyden is one of America's foremost rock critics, says the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Brian Fallon of the Gaslight Anthem says, a diehard, As a diehard and you're a lifelong Pearl Jam fan, I can't recommend Long Road enough. It's an essential perspective on one of the world's greatest bands with incredible heartfelt insight from Stephen Hyden. And Pearl Jam just finished their tour. The tour, of course, that was canceled right before uh, the pandemic started. That was almost the first thing I knew of that was canceled. Due to the pandemic, I had three shows in the next 11 days wiped out. Uh, and that tour just completed, and it was an interesting one. And there'll be some interesting things to talk about uh, with Stephen about Pearl Jam. And again, the book's called Long Road, Pearl Jam, and the soundtrack of a generation. And it's released today. Uh, today is the release day for that book, Tuesday. If you're out there listening as I post this. Go ahead and run to Apple Books or Amazon for Kindle versions or the hardcover book that's available now. Uh, I mentioned this book last week, The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football by Tyler Dunn. I think it's Dunn, D-U-N-N-E. I said this last time too. I'm not sure. Thanks to 12 Books uh, for sending me a copy and hooking me up with Tyler. He's the, for more about him. He's the founder of Go Long, a newspaper publication dedicated to long-form pro football journalism. He's covered the NFL for 2007 for various outlets, including Bleacher Report, the Buffalo News, and the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. His writing has been acknowledged by APSE, PFWA, and his story on the Green Bay Packers in 2018 drew the most reads for any story in Bleacher Report history. He's an SI guy, Newhouse School of Public Communications, and he lives in Western New York with his wife and two children. It's his first book, and it is going to be available in October, uh, and we will have Tyler on to discuss it. Again, it's called The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Say Football. Now, just after 12 books came to me about that opportunity, uh, the next day they came to me about one I am very excited about, and it's called The Book of Joe. Trying Not to Suck at Baseball and Life by Joe Madden and Tom Verducci. Uh, this book is going to be released on October 11th. Uh, and we should have Joe and Tom on the podcast. And I'm really excited about the book. Uh, Joe Madden, of course, the manager of the Cubs when they broke the curse. I think he's also managed the Angels. He's an interesting dude who kind of marches to his own drummer for sure. Um, and it'll be interesting, a former manager of the year. Uh, and Verducci's a guy who I remember when I started this podcast and talked to ESPR, ESP, ESPN, no, SIPR. They said, you can have anyone, including Verducci, but he won't do it because he turns down Mike and the Mad Dog. He's really particular at this time, um, and you won't get him. And I did several times, but I've lost contact with him in the last couple of years, uh, and I'm excited to to have him back one of the great baseball writers really of all time. And he collaborated with Joe on this book. And thanks to 12 Books, the opportunity is available 
uh, to feature it on the podcast. Also, I reached out uh, to Christopher Price uh, from the New England area who has a book on the Whalers out. And I think that that would be cool to talk about and read about the Hartford Whalers. We'll see if any if that goes anywhere. But I reached out to him uh, and told him that we would love to to feature it if we could. So three books as of now, The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football by Tyler Dunn, Long Road, The Pearl Jam Book by Stephen Hyden, and of course now uh, the newest addition to the list, Joe Madden and Tom Verducci. Uh, talking about the book of Joe, which is, of course, a memoir, I assume, uh, by Joe Madden with the help of Tom Verducci. The book of Joe, Trying Not to Suck at Baseball and Life, uh, released October 11th. Pre-orders are available now. So that's where we stand on the book club. Let's take a break. We're going to come back with a Hall of Fame sportscaster's guest, the great S.L. Price. Our next guest today is a Sportscasters Hall of Famer and a Sports Writing Hall of Famer who really needs no introduction. He's been published in the best American sports writing as much as almost anyone. Uh, He's the author of great books like the book he wrote about football in El Equipa. He's one of the great sports columnists of all time, and he's become a friend, and that's an honor. A warm Sportscasters welcome to the great S.L. Price. Hey, Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. For the first time since, as we just discovered, the very beginning of the pandemic. It's just bizarre because because if you had asked me, I would have I would have said that it's that it's been five years since since we've spoken last. What was I mean? I just 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 time is accordioned in such a bizarre way uh, from the t- pandemic and and everything else that that um, I, I just it. it, it it's just bizarre. The, the the entire this is just a symptom of a, of a larger um, confusion on my part. Someone tried to explain to me that the reason zero to eighteen feels like a lifetime, and then everything after that feels like a flash, is because we have less. We've perceived less time in those years, so it was way over my head. I'm not even going to try to re-explain. Yeah, but 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 it's a very yeah. it's pretty simple when you're yeah. alive when you're five years old. A summer feels like forever because it's one time because the, cause the amount of time because yeah. two months when you're five, uh, two months out of five years is a massive amount of time. But right. but when you're sixty, two months out of sixty years is is much smaller. So it's just it's just that's why when your kids, you know, summer feels like this wonderful forever land. And uh, and and now at my age, uh, you know, I'm sixty. Summer's over in about twenty minutes. Yeah, well, it's like that cliche that everyone says when you have a kid or you're about to have a kid. Oh, make sure you enjoy it. It goes by so fast. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have one. And you're like, holy shit, this does go by really, really fast. Yeah. You know what I mean? My daughter's seven now. And from that feels like a minute. You know, I mean, I've had five surgeries in her lifetime. And um, it just uh, everything about it feels like, you know, it feels like I was wiping her off. Because I wouldn't cut the thing, so they said, "Do you want a wiper?" I said, "Sure, I'll wiper." Because I wanted a professional to cut that thing. You know, I didn't want to screw that up. So, uh, but that seems like five minutes ago. You know, but and in probably well, the for weird, you, they, your kids are even older, right, and grown. So, yeah, yeah, for you, you probably really feel like it went by fast, right? Well, the most interesting thing about children for me—I mean, there are many fascinating things about it. 
but um, it essentially, you know, if, if you don't have kids, you, you can pretend you're 22 years old forever. Ah, we go out to dinner, we go to movies, we, right. you know, and, 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 you know, we do the same thing we did when we were 20, I'm 40, I'm 60, whatever. But when you're, when you, when you have kids, you, you can't avoid the fact that you're aging, like that time is moving because they're aging, they're changing, things are happening. And so it's actually a great gift. It, it, it forces you to, to sort of grapple with the passage of time and, and the imminence of dying in a way that, um, I think is not as immediate and, and daily as it is for, for someone who's single and doesn't have children. So, and, and that's the downside, right? Uh, that's, that's one downside. The, the upside is you have kids and you sort of, you, I remember, you know, my first crush or my, you know, first disappointment or my first something that happened to me or when a friend betrayed me or when a friend, you know, or when a friend, you know, did something right by me the first time or, you know, anything, my first good grade in school. And so, when it happens to your kid, you sort of relive your own life, but a little bit in your own experience, you say, oh, yeah, I remember when that happened, but this time you do it, um, you know, with wisdom and experience. And it, and it really is a gift to sort of go back and revisit your own experience matched up with your kids, uh, with the wisdom of time. So, so kids, you know, it's, it's an astonishingly, um, deep, and and uh, and obviously it's a deep experience, but but it helps you understand yourself in a way that that you didn't. I feel it, it, it certainly helped me understand myself in a way I didn't, and I wouldn't if I didn't have children. Yeah, and my six-year-old daughter. I don't know why I said seven. I don't want the fans of Paula to be all over me on email because Paula's become a cult hero on this podcast. I get more emails about her than me. Um, she is fascinated with my childhood. Like she's just wants to know everything about when I live with Uncle Anthony and Uncle Greg. So she's always asking me for stories and half of them are true and half of them I kind of make up on the spot because I don't want to disappoint her. But she just lost her first tooth. So it made me reflect on losing my first tooth. Yeah. And, you know, in that story. And we're trying to teach her how to tie her shoelaces. And I told her a story about how I was five years old and I learned how to tie them in church. I went to church with my grandmother so you got what forty five minutes in the Catholic Church right. there, and I just practiced and practiced, and I got it in church. And my my grandma said that I I only figured it out because you know Jesus was helping me; he was there helping me that day. So thanks for the assist. But um, so she loves those stories, and it gives me a chance, I think, to kind of relive some of that stuff that I haven't thought about in a long time. Like well, the other, the other thing story. is, I, I, the other thing is, I feel is that you, I I understood my parents in a way I never did. Um, oh, yeah, before I had true. children, yeah, that's true. because suddenly I realized that they they went they they were just as dumb as we are, mm-hmm. like in terms of we we knew nothing about raising kids, and I realized you know these were godlike figures, right? And I suddenly realized, wait, my parents must have been as dumb as we are, and and when they were disciplining us, and you know you shouldn't do that, you know as soon as we walked out of the room, they were probably cracking up like we were, you know, like we do, and and so it it really humanized my parents for me in a way that um, that. It, you know, that just for, as children, you don't necessarily do. For me, I had young parents. So I absolutely admire my parents because my mom had me when she was 20. I had my Ooh. daughter when I was 36. Right. You know what I mean? So I think about how difficult it was. If anything, anytime anything's difficult for me, I think, well, at least I'm figuring this out as a 36-year-old with a 36-year-old wife of the same age. My mom was 20, 21. You know, like I always think about how old was my mom at this time? You know, and I, and I think of what her age was, 24. Oh, my God, what it was I like when I was 24? I was a knucklehead. You know what I mean? I couldn't have done this then, but 
Right, and and you were yeah. a knucklehead, and you were getting probably a good night's sleep with kids. Yep. There's a there's the added stress of you are just exhausted, and uh, and so it's yeah, it's it is it is the the brutal test and the wonderful test at the same time. So last time we talked at the beginning of the pandemic, you were just about to end your run at SI. We kind of talked about it. You're kind of vague about it. I I hung up with the impression that it was going to end. When you look back now, a couple of years later, was it the right time? Were you at peace with it? What do you think about how it ended? And because you had a great run there, I mean, one of the most published writers in the Best American Sports Writing Series. I mean, so many articles. We talk about some random ones all the time, like the one you wrote about Chris Drury that night in Pittsburgh, or uh, when you wrote about Drew Brees for the Saints Super Bowl issue, or whatever one we want to talk about. But it was a great run that ended right around uh, the beginning or so of the pandemic. How do you feel looking back now? Well, first of all, that, just, 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 to be, just to be clear, that was not me with Drew Brees. Oh, Laden. I think that was Laden. I think that was Laden. That was Laden. Yeah. yeah, my bad. Um, I mean, look, the, uh, I mean, my entire time at SI was, was a massive gift. They treated me great throughout Steve Canella, Mark Mulvoy, um, Bill Colson. I mean, uh, all the editors there, I mean, I have I have not a, a complaint about the place, um, and they treated me great going out the door. I mean, obviously, um, this outfit, the Maven, was taking over, and I, you know, didn't have a great feeling about them, uh, which was proved out certainly in, in the first year. Although I think the magazine is really, and the and the the publication overall has really righted itself after a few management changes at the top, and and uh, you know, it's a monthly now, and and I and I feel like. They're really doing some some great work there, and 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 it, it seems to have stabilized and and uh, and is it is in a better direction than it was at least for the uh, that the it was talent, going. And, the talent has taken over a little bit, I think. You know, just yeah. the pure and, talent of some of the guys they have there has kind of taken over. Yeah, and yeah. and I and and so I feel a lot better about the institution than I did when I left. I didn't I didn't I didn't have a good feel for it for it um, at the end. Not in terms of me, but just in, in the direction it was going. Um, but I mean, I absolutely left at the right time, um, and like I said, they they treated me great all the way out the door. Um, um, I've been working on a book about lacrosse uh, ever since that um, I love, and um, I'm doing it on my terms. You know, I don't have to worry about algorithms and clicks and all that other stuff, and uh, I'm doing it the way that SI taught me. You know. Uh, in its prime, so um, it's it's incredibly gratifying and fascinating, and and uh, uh, at least to me, really important. And so, um, so overall, I mean, I, you know, I I feel like right up to the end, SI was allowing me to do the kind of stories that I like to do, um, that I'm that I that I'm pretty good at, and you know, the ones that um, and they were encouraging on that level, even at a time when they were really searching for who they wanted to be and what what they were going to be in this, you know, media cratering media universe. Um, but overall, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I left officially, I guess in mid 2020 and, and, um, uh, and, you know, onward and upward. Well, it's interesting because one of your very last articles for SI was a lacrosse article, wasn't it? Um, yeah. If April you're talking 17th, about, I, 2019. So I think they have, yeah, Lyle, yeah. Lyle Thompson and the braid, right? Yep. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was one of my my last, and and um, 
you know, that was uh, um, I, I was already started on a lacrosse book at that point. Um, I'd been to Israel for the World Championships in 2018, and um, and had interviewed by that time probably a couple hundred people. Um, so so that was a that was a piece that I I thought was important to get out, and um, and it was a uh, uh, he he basically what happened. Lyle Thompson, the arguably the greatest lacrosse player in the world today, um, Onondaga, um, uh, plays for the Iroquois Nationals, played at, at, um, Albany, um, uh, was in Philadelphia playing a game and, and, uh, and, uh, the announcer said, let's, let's cut the braid off, you know, for the Philadelphia team. Um, you know, which the history of the braid in, in Native American life and all the, uh, in, he probably didn't uh, mean much by it. You know what I mean? Like, well, he, 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 he didn't mean much by it as a white man. Right. You know, <laughs> not, but, I'm not excusing but, him necessarily. But, but, no, no, but I don't no, no, think no, I, I get it. Was, but, but, yeah. but he was, he was just trying to rev up the crowd. Right. But the problem is, is that for native Americans, uh, if you're aware of that history, um, uh, you know, you, you would know that's highly disrespectful and, and, uh, you know, they, they, the guy ended up getting fired, and 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 Lyle, you know, used it as a as a as an opportunity to to speak on on Native American issues and and to publicize it. So so it ended up being good, and and it did sensitize, um, you know, the the sport of cross ever more to 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 those issues, and 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 it was a, a means of education. So so you know, it ended up. I don't want to say all's well that ends well, but um, you know it. It highlighted a very important issue that that's often overlooked. So, so, so uh, I like writing about that kind of stuff. Um, I, I find it important. I think sports reflects our culture in in a lot of ways, um, in many ways that that people don't expect, and uh, because they just want to go see a game sometimes. But um, so, yeah, that was in some ways it's, it's a good point. I mean, um, it's one of my final pieces for um, for Sports Illustrated, and and and. It's a little token of exactly the kind of story I love to do. So my connections with lacrosse, first off, being in Buffalo, if you want to go from the box lacrosse, the Bandits are here. They're one of the one of the bigger franchises, I think, in the league. When they first came, they were really good at first. They were getting huge crowds at the odd. And um, I was at, like, the first game they lost after winning, like, a bunch in a row, including a championship or two, which doesn't happen here in Buffalo much. And then when I went to college, initially I went to Syracuse until I got sick and my mom made me come closer to home. And Syracuse, obviously, one of the best outdoor colleges for lacrosse over the years. And then my brother went to Yale, and in 2013 they won the national championship, being the first uh, sports team to win a national championship for Yale. And then... In 2017, the lacrosse team um, became the second. So a few connections there in my life. Um, what is the overall thesis, I guess, of the lacrosse book? Like what exact – Like, because you could say I was writing a football book before your equipment book came out, right? But right. that could have meant a million things. So you say you're writing a lacrosse book. Well, that could mean a million things as well, right? Yeah, well, not – I mean, I don't want to go – I'm still in the midst of it, so I don't want to get okay. too – Sure, I understand too, No, 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 yeah. I appreciate it. I appreciate you asking, but I, but essentially I feel like – I mean, it, it's, it's, no, it's no surprise anybody who knows anything about lacrosse. It's the oldest American sport. It goes back a 1,000 years. It, you know, it, it covers everything from the Native American experience to, to um, you know, 
big money on Wall Street. I mean, I mean, the, for for the longest time, just until recently, you know, you you weren't really making a living as a pro lacrosse player, um, for the most part, or at least making big money. Certainly not not in the not in the order of of yeah, like of, John you know, Travers was a football. teacher, like when he was here, yeah. and he was the best right. player in the world or whatever, and he was a teacher. Right. I mean, yeah. it's 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 you know, it's it's a side hustle, and and what 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 lacrosse was for a lot of people especially in the american collegiate system was was a was a pathway to jobs on wall street you know uh and duke and and hopkins and right. and princeton all had connections to different firms and, and do, do still have connections yale has barclays kind of wired um in a way um and you know more i i, I believe more lacrosse players than any other sport died at 911 because there were so many of them working on wall street um wow. about 70 of them huh. and so the American, you know, and then meanwhile, the the uh, Title IX and the rise of women's lacrosse. That the lacrosse is a, is a far is you know perhaps the fastest growing sport in America in the last twenty twenty five years. Um, a lot of it is because of the growth of the women's game, and uh, so so there's a lot in the sport that to me reflects a lot of the American experience. I think, um, I think, and and, and, and it, like I said, it goes. It's the only one that goes all the way back to to uh, comes out of the ground. And the deer of of the of, of American and North American soil. Obviously, it's both sides of the St. Lawrence River. Um, but um, you know, this is this is this is a sport that that is not an import. It grew out of the country itself. Um, was appropriated by whites from the Native Americans. They banned Native Americans from the game in a in a just, you know an, an exact parallel of the Indian Remo- Removal Act. Um, so, to me. Of uh, the sport is incredibly, it's a mirror and has been and continues to be good and bad um, uh, of who we are as a country, and I'm trying to explore that. Interesting. The uh, what was I going to say? I was going to say something about oh, one of my favorite lacrosse pop culture references. I don't know if you watch The Wire, but um, the bunk is was a lacrosse player in high school. And yeah, and by the way, I, I I have his quote as one of the epigrams in the book. Oh great! <laughs> yeah, there's a fun... about him about him coming down the coming down the field, and he said those white the boys white get boys. out of the way. Yeah, yeah, because 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 yeah. uh, the, the reason he says that is because um, uh, Omar is sitting there in the police station, and he he recognizes the bunk, and he's I, like, I, I, listen, uh, Stephen. Yeah, let me let me read it to you. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> let it. me let me give you the exact dialogue. Okay, I love this. <laughs> Hold on. All right. Hold on. This is an example of something I can cut out for us. It'll feel like you had it right at your fingertips. Omar, you go to Edmondson, right? You was ahead of me. You was the first brother I ever seen who played that sport with a stick. Uh, <laughs> what's it called? Lacrosse bunk. Lacrosse, man. I was all Metro Attack. Those prep school boys used to pee themselves when they see old bunk coming at them. Season one, episode seven. <laughs> yeah, and then later. So yes. So then, yes, I'm aware of it. <laughs> <laughs> and then later he he mentions that Jim Brown played and uh That's right. Lester Freeman goes, "You putting yourself next to Jim Brown?" That's a great another That's right. great moment. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I was thinking that um and I was also thinking about how not hockey but lacrosse is the national pastime of Canada, correct? Well, I mean, it's funny. Because the answer is, of course, is no. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, you ask. No, no. What I mean is, I mean, what's the most popular sport in Canada? It's it's not even close. Well, it's like it's here hockey. with football and baseball too, right? Like the national 
pastime is baseball, but football's the most popular. Well, yeah, but again, national pastime was sort of an invented thing. You know, it's like it's a label that somebody made up. Like it's not, and and but at the time, baseball was the national pastime, and there was a time in the eighteen late eighteen hundreds when absolutely the sport of lacrosse was massive in Canada, um, and George Beers who invented, essentially, like, codified the game and essentially said that, that Native Americans shouldn't play in it, um, eventually, in his rules, literally in the rules of the game, saying they shouldn't, they shouldn't play, um, that they shouldn't play on white teams. Uh, uh, he basically sort of made up the idea that it was the national, that on the same, essentially the same day that, uh, you know, Canada became a nation, um, uh, it's Independence Day, of uh, that that somewhere somehow it was declared the national sport of Canada as well by Parliament, and right. it wasn't. In 1967, it was found out that that was a little bit of a canard. But since then, it has been declared the national summer sport of Canada. Winter. There's no yep. and hockey is winter. Right. But again, there are like eight sports in terms of popularity that are more popular than lacrosse in Canada. I mean, in terms of like. It, people either watching or playing it. Golf is far more popular in, than lacrosse in Canada. However, it is woven into the Canadian experience, like you said. It like baseball is woven into the American experience, and you know the sport absolutely you know began like you somewhere in the St. Lawrence River Valley on either side of the of the of the river. Canadians will tell you, you know, Quebec, you know, somewhere in the Quebec area. Um, and, you know, if you go to Onondaga around Syracuse, they're like, it happened here. Right. <laughs> this is where it began. Sure. So, so it's a nice little thing. But, but both, both countries have a claim on it. And, of course, the Native Americans uh, say, forget about the countries. We don't even recognize your border. Like, we, you know, the, the Haudenosaunee, the Iroquois, uh, as they're called by us, and they call themselves Haudenosaunee, uh, you know, because of the Treaty of 1794 with George Washington and uh, and and other treaties, um, the Jade Treaty, um, don't consider there, there there should be any border between the don't recognize the border between Canada and the U.S. and and they say it's their game and 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 the rest of us are interlopers and of course they're right. So, well, you got me fired up for the S.L. Price lacrosse book. When when is this well, beauty going to be at my doorstep? 2023 something i don't know i don't know where it's going to be by your doorstep uh, i've got i've got another about another year of work on another it before year. we okay. get it to the publisher yeah so so um um but you know a crowd of a crowd of of, of six will be waiting for it but, wow. but, but count me in uh, yeah um so anyway i'm 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 look uh, it, the process is is great and that's what what's important when it comes to writing a book because you're it's all it's you and the book alone uh, and you you got to love the subject because because nothing else, you know, you're not getting the, the you're not getting any juice out of it except for the for the content itself, which is all that matters. All right. So the short term answer to the question of what is one of the great living American sports writers going to do after a long term run mm -hmm. at Sports Illustrated is a lacrosse book. But eventually yeah. it will be at my doorstep and you will still be a young, healthy man who needs to write many more words about sports for me to read. So when you look into the future, when you finish this book, what ideally, what is the plan? Like long-term, what do you want the back nine of your career to be? Well, you know, long-term, what John Maynard Keynes said about, you know, in the long run, right? Mm -hmm. 
in the long run, we're all dead. So I don't, you know. Yeah, not I'm that 60. far ahead. Roll back. Yeah, I'm 60. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to get to next year. You know, sure. I mean, and and I don't mean, you know, I'm not being morbid. It's like I, I, I don't know what the long term plan is, um, and you know, I'm sort of at the mercy of the market. I mean, yeah, I, I, th- I have an idea for another book. Okay. Um, I'd love to do. Um, so who books. knows if anybody else, who knows, who knows, who knows if anybody else will love that idea. And, you know, um, in terms of outlets, I mean, I had, a, I had a podcast going with sports illustrated and it seems to have, have dried up, um, for, I don't know, undetermined reasons. Um, I mean, it was, it was going at the end of my time there and, uh, for reasons both on, you know, uh, technical and, and logistical, it, it, it got put on hold and was supposedly going to get restarted. And this was, this was basically a podcast about the one sports illustrated story. I, I, I did that never got published. Yeah. You sent um, it to me or part of it. I sent is, you this. Yeah. Cause we talked about this one of the times and you sent me, yeah. you sent me something to read if, whether it was the whole thing or part of it. I remember I'd have to look. Ah, it up. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So it just, yeah. So it, so it never ran. And, uh, I thought, well, I don't want to, I, I don't, it's, you, you don't really have the psychic energy. You don't, you don't get the same kick from just redoing it again. I reported in 19, late nineties. Um, but I'd be interested in doing it, uh, as a podcast. And it was about Marette Ford and the Cal Stanford band play, probably arguably the most famous, uh, play in college football the history, which is the, 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 yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, the running over of the trombone player and and so um and the third the most most important lateral if you can call it that the most the most dramatic one was Marette Ford's that uh, that sort of set up the score and um and he's been in jail since the late 90s for for killing his wife and and child son and unborn unborn uh son and he's maintained throughout that he was he's not guilty and and he was Convicted on circumstantial evidence, and uh, which is which is not to say that that it it's not a valid conviction because because people get convicted on circumstantial evidence all the time. But he's maintained his innocence throughout. And um, uh, yeah, I went back and and did a lot of reporting for this podcast, six months of it, and um, for now it's just sitting there. I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen with it. And I, I if if we can resurrect that, that might that might be a project. Um, but for now, it's it's uh, it's in limbo. I don't know if it's exactly a true crime podcast, but stuff stuff like that seems to really resonate with people. People love to listen to those stories like that. So I think there's definitely some life there. So it seems like you're more interested in doing books long term. Do you think you'll ever write features again? We ever want to do one on a freelance level, like you know, GQ I calls. Mean, you know, okay, you want to do a profile on. Whatever. I mean, I'm 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 open to anything. Okay. You know, if you know, it, what I mean is, you know, it depends. But the the problem is, you know, the the and again, there there are people doing feature stories. There's 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 no question that it's still happening. But um, you know, the market is really thinned. Uh, and what I mean is, for for a deep dive reporting, um, that costs money. Mm-hmm. And and there are very few outlets that have the money to want to go do a uh, uh to, to have the money to to do a deep dive on a on a subject um there's still it's still being done it's still being done well i mean obviously espn still does it um 
dot com especially. Uh, I'm talking about the written word, not not uh, right. TV stuff. But um, in terms of of written features, there's you know, it's less and less of it. But who knows? I mean, if the right subject and the right um, outlet come up and and somebody thinks I'd be appropriate, um, I'm I'm I'd be more than interested. Uh, but it would have to be the right thing. I don't you know I. Um, and uh, it would have to, I mean, that was the great thing about SI, you know, the the place was, I worked for newspapers for 10 years, and if someone said, well, hey, you got to go cover this, I'd be like, okay, sure, like, that, that's my job, I'll, I'll do whatever you tell me. And at SI, I remember when I first got there in 1994, uh, the editors were calling and saying, hey, would you be interested in doing this story? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, if you tell me to, that's, I mean, I was just, I was just so used to, right, I can choose, you know. Yeah. I, I, yeah, exactly, yeah. and 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 uh, and that was the SI sort of model uh, because their thought was, well, we we only want someone doing the story who's really into it because it'll be much better. And, and of they course, had a deep bench, you, right? They had a deep bench at the time. They had so, a deep yeah. bench, and they had a lot of money. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, SI was making a, a, a ton of money at that point, so they could afford to do that. You know, and and uh, and by the way, like I said, I I had you know a, a story killed that I thought should never have been killed. But that was not uncommon. Um, uh, I was, I, uh, I was. What was uncommon was the fact that I had only had one story killed, and, and part of the big reason was that because I was covering college football and tennis, and and well, and because you know, you're one of the uh, best of all time. I mean, I know you're well, not going to no, say no, no, that, it was because I, I was covering. No, 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 no. It was because I was covering events, and so they, you know, they needed something to fill the fill the magazine. You know, like those events. I'm, they're not going to not not run a U.S. Open story, right? You know, like the or, gamers or, Wim- or Wimbledon story, quote unquote. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so I'm just saying, like, I I got lucky in that regard, and 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 um, but but that but at for a long time, SI, they they'd spend ten twenty thousand dollars on a story, and then if if it wasn't up to snuff or things changed, it just didn't run. But by the end of my run there, I mean they you know they had to, and it was probably more judicious, you know. If they went out, if you went out and reported a story, it was pretty much going to run, right? In some form, you know. Proof, proof is that the the John Wertheim story about me ran. There's proof right there. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, there you go. This is hard, hard to get an answer when I ask questions like this. So I'll try to keep it as open ended as possible. And I don't know if you've done this thing. I was, I was watching some Drew Brees stuff uh, last night because I always have an appetite for Drew Brees stuff. And it was an interview when he broke the passing record on Monday Night Football and he said something like you know in the moment it's hard to reflect on this but when I'm done I'll you know I'm sure I'll sit down and look back and and he's been done for a couple of years so I wonder if he's done it you've been away from SI for a couple of years so I wonder if you've done it have you reflected on your time there and if you have is there a story or two that you look back on and you say man I'm just really proud of that one I'm so glad I got to write that one or is it more of a just a general pride for your time there I mean you really like you said, 1994 to 2020. I mean, in that period, somewhere you went from S.L. Price to someone that I, again, you won't say this, but I will, one of the great American sports writers of my lifetime for sure. So that happened there. So have you reflected? What are you most proud of? What do you think of when you look back at the time there? Well, I mean, thank you for saying that. But I believe it. That's why I said it. So just. Well, I know. I appreciate yeah. it. But I'm just saying, I. I you know, I, I mean, SI gave me uh, so much. I mean, I, I mean, the fact is, is like I learned. They gave me the opportunity to learn. Look, the, the point is this: my entire career is, you know, 
what what carried me when my writing was really bad uh, was the fact that um, I would interview people and and they would tell me things and I I never I, for the longest time never understood why but I but the reason is I, I think is that when I speak to them like the the purpose of the interview sort of goes away uh, you know I'm not there to get a quote I, I actually become intensely interested in whoever I'm talking to and by the way my kids will tell you that's how I am when their friends come over like I'm I, I'm just I I'll talk to strangers all the time and ask them questions and talk to them about their lives. I'm just fascinated by it. I mean, I just, it just, and, and I love travel. And so I love going to new places. I don't know anything about. And, and I grew up with no money. And so I would, I would, I would go and talk to people and travel for free uh, if I could, you know, and, and, and do now, you know, I mean, and it just so happened that, that, SI allowed me to do that, and, and instead of being the weird guy who's asking people's questions um, and people are backing away from in a bus station or something, um, because I work for SI, they talk to me. <laughs> and, and, and meanwhile, SI is bankrolling me to go to London and Pakistan and Cuba and, and Colombia and uh, you know, China. Um, and I mean, that was just an astonishing gift. And especially because they were making me better the whole time. I mean, I, I, I became a better writer and reporter because of my time and, and with the people I was working with there and with the opportunities they gave me. And, and so, um, I mean, I just, I just look upon the whole thing as a, as a, as a dreamlike gift. And that, that doesn't mean that, you know, I wasn't returning, you know, doing something for them. They, they weren't doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. Clearly, I was producing enough so that they would send me out again but um, you know, overall, it was like going to grad school for 26 years. I just kept, I just kept learning about different subjects and and people and and places, and and then forced to learn about myself and and push myself as a writer. I mean, my second story for SI ever, they sent me down to Colombia. Hmm. Colombia, and this was right after Pablo Escobar was killed, and Colombia was was the was the odds-on favorite to win the World Cup. Uh, at least from South America, you know, the best team in, in South America. The 94 World Cup, the one that was here? Exactly. Okay. Brazil and won I, went, I went down, and, so that was my second story, and I went down and, and with, with Simon Brody, the great photographer and a great friend of mine, we went down together and spent 10 days in Colombia, and, you know, everything was narco at that point. Um, everything was about drugs. Um, you know, narco was the prefix to everything, narco fashion models, narco, narco, you know, uh, cigarettes, narco, narco cars, you know, narco restaurants and narco soccer. And what I didn't really understand at the time was, um, that everyone knew that Pablo Escobar and the other two cartel, um, honchos had their hands on the three main football teams in, in, in Colombia. And, um, and everybody in Columbia talked about it. Um, so I wrote the story that sort of detailed the, the connection between, um, the traffickers and, and, and the, um, and the, and the soccer teams there. And, um, <laughs> and I, I sort of was uh, naive or what, I, I don't know. I just didn't understand it until the impact of it after, but it had never been written before in Columbia. And it, and it be, and and what I was it became it was the it was the top news story in Colombia when it ran at Sports Illustrated, and it was 
It was translated in full into Spanish in El Espectador. And what I understood later was that because the Escobar's cartel were they were they were killing Supreme Court judges, seventy journalists. Um, the journalists down there knew to to write about it very obliquely and no, sort of oh Pablo Escobar was on the side of uh, uh, on the sideline with Nacional today, but they never had written it in full because of course they were in dreadful fear of their life or being blown up. I mean it was it was it was an absolute anarchy down there. And of course that was the so, World Cup where they they lose right on the own exactly. goal and they killed the guy right. Well, on, right. So Andres I wrote Escobar? that prior. This was a this was a World Cup preview prior to that. Okay. And so, and so, I went and spoke to a DEA informant in a Pizza Hut in uh, in uh, in uh, in South Florida, and I was told by the head of the DEA, like, "Hey, if you write the story, you know, don't ever go south again." <laughs> and back. I never have. <laughs> and I never have. Uh-huh. And 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 I wrote the story, and and you know, it, 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 it was a big splash, and I especially in Colombia, not not necessarily here. Um, and then, and th- and then, <laughs> I am at Wimbledon that year, and the World Cup's going on, and and Andres Escobar scores the own goal and goes back and is killed, and I'm like, oh my god! And and by the way, I'm living in South Florida in the midst of a Colombian neighborhood, you know, surrounded by, uh, and and so it, it was a uh, it was a harrowing experience, and that was my essential introduction at SI. My first story was about the University of Miami. My second story was about that and um and from there i was off to cuba and 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 went there a a huge amount of times and i was able to write books you know all that comes from my time at si and and i mean i consider myself in just extraordinarily fortunate in every way um for my time there well one of the biggest reasons that i am such a huge fan of the azuri is because at during the 94 world cup I'd already been a fan of being an Italian-American, second generation. Um, I watched them in the 86 World Cup and 90, but in 94, they went to the final. And my great, my great Nana was living with us at the time. And um, I didn't know she knew anything about soccer, was paying any attention. I barely knew she was in the room, but she was sitting in the chair kind of behind me a little bit in our room when the penalties were going on in the final. And after Roberto Baggio missed and we had lost, I turned back and she was crying. And there was no way I thought it was related to what I was watching. I thought something was wrong with her. So I asked her and she said, I'm so sad for Italy. They love us so much. I'm so sad. Now, it blew me away because I didn't know she was paying attention. I didn't know she knew what was going on. I didn't know anything about that. She knew anything about soccer. We had never talked about it. And it was one of the great joys in 2006 when they won on penalties to be able to go visit her grave and say we got it back, you know, and we we got that. Italy's happy today. You don't have to be sad anymore. So that was a- well. Look, I, I I covered the '90 World Cup for the Miami Herald in Italy, and um and Michael Farber happened to be there. I think for a new uh, the great hockey writer for Sports Illustrated and yep. others. Um and I believe he was there for a New Jersey paper, but it might have been when he was working in Montreal. I'm not sure where he was at the time, but. He agrees with me. It remains the greatest sporting event I've ever covered, that 90 World Cup. And I was actually in the stadium when Baggio missed in 94. Um, There's nothing like the World Cup. The Olympics don't even come close to it in terms of fervor. Um, 
it is the most important thing in the world when it's on. And because of that, when this, this November, this December, I am going to Mexico City to watch for a week to watch the World Cup because I want to be oh, in a, a country. Oh, there's a World Cup this year? Yeah, wow. and I want to be, and I want to be in the in a world in a traditional uh, World Cup country that where it's the absolute most central thing um, to the uh, to the country because there's there's nothing like it, and you know it, it's football season in America. People will be paying attention to the World Cup, but you know they're all going to be watching the NFL. Um, I want to be somewhere where where it matters most. Well, that World Cup is dead to me. Don't even get me started on World Cup qualifying and its absurdities. So you you were there for the Italy-Argentina match, and this is something that drives me nuts today is this uh, – because I'm all about, you know, soccer's club versus country. I'm all about the – I'm country. sorry, you're talking about Italy-Argentina in, yes. in, 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 in 90. Yeah, and the – Yeah, I was there. There was actually Italians there who didn't know if they wanted to cheer for Italy – or if they wanted to cheer for Maradona because of That's right. their love for him from Napoli. And that drives me nuts. And like when we won the Euros in 2020. Yeah, but that's it. Yeah, but that's, but that's, but that's because, well, for two things. And I remember, first of all, Maradona was, was brilliant. Like he was the one saying to, to Italians, hey, because he was talking about the divide of how the Northern Italians looked down on the Southern Italians. Right. There was a, he was, he had a very, acute sense of the culture in Naples and he was saying I'm I'm more loyal to you than they are you should be rooting I've done more for this city than they have you should root for me and it was it was so cynical and brilliant and <laughs> and and I couldn't believe that he almost pulled it off but he was so beloved in that town and I will tell you one other thing he was warming up for that game and to watch Maradona warm up and and kick the ball up on his shoulder, on the back of his heel. I mean, control a ball still like I've never seen. Just watching him warm up was one of the most thrilling sights I have ever seen in 40 years of covering sports. And it of, remains one of the great sights. And, of course, of all places, that game's in Naples, right? I mean, so, like, everything. But this is what drives me nuts because, like I said, I'm a huge – I don't really care about club soccer at all. I've gotten more interested in the last year or so since we won – the Euros, I became really interested in those players, and I've kind of followed some of them to their teams. But what happened was, so we played a game in Milan after the Euros, and Donnarumma, our goalkeeper, who was the player of the Euros, uh, I would think an international hero, his first game in Italy after that is in Milan, and he got booed relentlessly the whole game because he had left Milan for PSG. And, like, Italy and... And our manager and the soccer federation now have to decide when they're planning on where to play. Do we go to Milan and subject Donnarumma to that? And he's a very young kid still and potentially rattle him. Or do we play in Sicily like they did in the in the playoff, you know, where it's not as good of an atmosphere, maybe not as good of an advantage? Oh, it drives me nuts. I'm sorry. It's another... No, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with Jeez, you. I'm, you know, and and it. And I mean, we're booing Donna Ruma two months after the Euros. <laughs> really? Ah, oh. unbelievable. Yeah. What kind you're, of Italians? Way, your, are listener, these your listenership for this podcast just dwindled away. I just yeah, like well, they, they there's, like, there's like there's like three Italy fans in the country. Well, so. and they they like to tease me about it though. You know, I start yelling, and I was poor Grant Wall. I yelled and screamed at for thirty minutes about 
World Cup qualifying last time I talked to him, and I got all these emails from people, you know, cry some more, Italy boy. But, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so S.L. Price is the author. He's on Twitter, thanks to me, even though he won't admit it, at by S.L. Price on Twitter. You can find him there. His book, Playing Through the Whistle, Steel Football in American Town, is one of my all-time favorite book club books, and you can buy it right now. How about a deal? On Kindle, you can get it for two ninety nine right now on Amazon. I was wa- I was in the car. I had Mad Dog Radio on Sirius, and I think it was the Pat McAfee show, and they were interviewing Ty Law. And when they hung up with him, the guys were, like, talking about how he's from somewhere near Pittsburgh where there's, like, all these players are from there. And I was like, yeah, you got to – I'm thinking, like, you got to – I'm screaming at the radio. You got to read this book. Um, but that's uh, available if you would like that. Do you have any questions for me before we go? No, I just wanted – like, uh, you know, we spent – 20 minutes before you hit play or record <laughs> yes. uh, talking about your health. And I'm, I'm just happy to hear that you're back in business and, I appreciate and, that. and, and feeling good. Yes. Very good. Except for when you get me all riled up about these disloyal Italians who are putting their club loyalties over their country. And they get all by, the, by the way, I want, I want you to know that, that I am not, I'm, you know, Polish background. Okay. Uh, but my, my, team is the Azuri. I mean, I, 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 they are my favorite international team and who I root for at the World Cup. Yeah. Because, uh, because the World Cup is one of the few times that I'm able to be just a fan. Mm-hmm. And, and that experience in Italy was so transformative for me um, that um, they, they, they have a piece of my heart forever. So I'm, so I'm, so I'm, I'm rooting for you and Italy Thank this you. year. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's not going to help us much this year, since of course we're not. No, I know. I, I, I realize. I realize it's not going to. I realize it's not going to help Italy. I mean that like metaphysically. Right. I'm, right, right, I'm right. always and, and and I will say when they didn't qualify, uh, you know, I was like, are I you was, serious? I, I was mean, I was in the hospital watching the game on my I, iPad. I, it almost put me in the hospital. Yeah, yeah, I was watching the game on my iPad, and when the goal, the inevitable goal, you know, after the, you play the whole match and. They never touch the ball, and they just can't score. And it's like they're going to get – I'm just thinking the whole time. They're going to get one shot, and it's going to go in. Sure enough, they do. I just slammed the iPad shut, hit my buzzer, and said, Nurse, I think I'm due for my pain medicine, and I think I slept the next three days. But, uh, yeah, I was – I was. Uh, I mean, for me, for me, a World uh, Cup without Italy is, is you know – Stupid. Is, is missing so, – I mean, it's like, you know, have a World Cup without Brazil or Argentina. Well, it should never happen uh, again because they're expanding the tournament. Yeah. So I don't, I, I, I don't think they'll find a way to – screw it up in the future because there's i know but this but, but oh. this was this was this was this was earth shakingly stupid and bad so. oh my god Jorginho, and here okay you got me fired up so one last thing Jorginho, who has missed the last three penalties for italy okay he missed one that could have won the euros but donnarumma bailed him out so fine forget that one he had a penalty in both switzerland games if he makes one of those they're in the world cup right he misses both the second one he missed so bad I think it landed in the upper deck above the net, okay? <laughs> he is 15 for 15 on his last 15 attempts for Chelsea. I mean, he ne- the goalie is never even in the picture on these 15. It just oh, it drives me nuts. Drives me absolutely I, nuts. I, I, I hadn't noticed. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. Every single time I t- open the app and I look at the scores and it's one nothing Chelsea, I'm like, oh, I bet Jorginho scored on a penalty. I scroll down. Jorginho, PK, and it's just like you gotta be kidding me. This guy, unbelievable. And I do, I do love Jorginho. Like I, 
he made the kick to send us to the final against Spain, you know. So, like, I have a, a love for him, and I feel bad he missed the one in England. I haven't done a room with bailed him out, so I don't even think about that one. But those Switzerland ones, ugh. My God. Anyway, thank you, Mr. Price. Scott, thank you. I appreciate it. Now that you got my blood pressure at way too high. The insane, the insane anti-Italy rant to end the, uh, yeah. the podcast. I love Unbelievable. That. Jorginho. Damn you, Jorginho. All right. All right thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. See I would like to thank SL Price and Jay Mariotti for being on the podcast today. Don't forget, you can hear this episode and all episodes of the Sportscasters podcast on our SoundCloud page. It's soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters. You can find us on Twitter. We are at sports underscore casters there. Feel free to email me, the sportscasters at gmail.com. And we always appreciate five-star reviews on Apple and Stitcher and Spotify and wherever you listen and of course if there's somewhere that you normally listen to your podcast and you can't find the sportscasters there let me know and I will rectify uh, that situation don't forget to check out from greetings from Allentown uh, greetings from Allentown live the podcast with Keithy and Peter at GF Allentown pod for more information there they're going through the WWF's 1992 year I think they're in around August right now uh, also, Keithy made his debut on the Place to Be Nation flagship show uh, this week, so check out that and the Place to Be Nation and all their channels, Place to Be Nation Wrestling, which is at P2BN Wrestling, the Pop Feed, the North South Pod Network featuring Justin and uh, the Jenny Position as well. Don't forget about the return of the 24 Inch Podcast uh, at 24 Inch Podcast for more information on that. The plan as of right now as I talk is to record on Thursday the return episode of the 24 Inch Podcast uh, with Paula Bennett, Hollywood Dave Rollins, and myself. I also want to mention a podcast for Bills fans that I think could interest you. It's called If the Walls Could Talk in Buffalo, uh, and it features Don Purdy, who's the former director of football administration, and Josh Cormier, who was the former quality control assistant under Wade Phillips for the Bills. And their podcast compares the 1990 Bills to the current iteration of the team with the theory being that this version of the team and the 1990 are the two best teams in the history of the franchise. How do they compare and contrast? And of course, Josh and Don have over 30 years of experience working for the Bills. Uh, So they share their stories and their knowledge of what it was like to work there and give you insight into like, what happens when you lose a player on IR? You know, what's it like inside the building? How does it affect the organization? Things like that. They're very good. Uh, Josh is a good friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, a good family man, and, uh, you know, just a guy I admire for his courage and his strength, uh, the challenges he's faced over the years in his life. Um, he's tackled them head on, and he's a great friend to me, probably better than I deserve. Um, and I want you to check out his podcast for me if you can. Again, for more information, it's at IF Buffalo. 
on Twitter. So at if Buffalo on Twitter, and you can find more information like their latest episode, which is six uh, with Greg Brown, who was the color man uh, with Van Miller during the 1990 season. Uh, they're also going to be talking to former Bills DB Chris Hale. Uh, and with their connections, I'm sure there'll be many, many, many interviews to come. And just their basic analysis of the season uh, and comparing it to 1990, I think, is a cool angle uh, and something different in a world, the podcasting world, it can be so similar. Right? Everything seems to be the same sometimes. And I even feel that for this show. You know, is there anything different about it? Is there any reason for anyone to listen to this show as opposed to some other show? And I'm not even sure uh, what the answer is. But I do know that Josh and Don have a unique angle. So check it out if you could. All right. One last thing for me today. And it's something I've been in denial about, I think, for a long time. And that is Italy is not going to the World Cup. It's about 54 days away as I record this in Qatar, Qatar, however you say it. It's in the winter because it's so hot there in the summer months uh, that the players would literally die on the field of heat exhaustion. So they had to move it to the winter time. It's going to be in November this year. It's on Fox, the United States and Canada of all teams have qualified uh, for that. But Italy has not. Now, they won the Euros last summer and had won uh, or not lost, I suppose, over 36 matches in a row before they lost in the Nations League to Spain. And it was a, it's, a, it's a record for the most consecutive games without a loss by a national team. And for whatever reason, they did not qualify for the World Cup for the second time. In a row. Now, what happened was they were first place in their group the entire qualification process, which would have been enough to put them forward. But on the very last day, last day, they were passed by Switzerland, and Switzerland qualified, and Italy did not, and they had to go to a playoff, and that playoff draw happened, and they ended up in the same bracket with Portugal. And everyone was looking ahead to this epic matchup of Italy versus Portugal for a spot in the World Cup. Would it be Italy out or would it be Ronaldo out? And unfortunately, Italy didn't make it because they lost to North North Macedonia, whatever that is, the game before. And I was in a hospital bed in March watching the game on my iPad. I was in there for three weeks that stay with an infection. Uh, that developed after my surgery in February. And I watched the game kind of in silence on my iPad and my hospital bed. And when Northern Macedonia scored in the last second, I shut the uh, shut the laptop and asked for a pain shot and slept for the next 36 hours. And I kind of never thought about it or dealt with it. And when people would bring it up, either that they weren't making it or that they weren't going to be in the World Cup, I'd kind of just blow it off and... Um, like I said, I think I was in denial. Uh, but over the last few days, they played the last two games in their group in this iteration of the Nations League. And their group was England, Germany, Hungary, and themselves, considered the most difficult group in the entire tournament. So they had a game on Friday against England in Italy, and then they had a game yesterday in Hungary against Hungary, who was the surprise breakout team in the group. Now, on Friday, 
Italy beat England one to nothing on a goal by Raspadori. And they had tried a new formation because there's so many injuries uh, in Italy. Chiesa is still not available. Spinazzola backed out. Chiro Immobile not available. Um, uh, Verratti in the midfield not available. Chiellini retired. I could go on and on. It's almost like Italy could form another 11 team of just people not available uh, that could compete with many of the countries that are going to the World Cup. Uh, and they tried a new formation, and the players that were there played with spirit and passion, and they beat England one to nothing, and kind of in a surprise result, Hungary had defeated Germany, uh, which set up essentially a battle for the group on Monday. Italy wins. They are in the final four of the Nations League in June, and they'll play in the Netherlands with the Netherlands, Croatia, uh, the winner of our group and the winner of the fourth, which is yet to be decided as we speak. So they go to Hungary, travel there. It's a sold-out stadium. The hero of the team, it's his last game in Hungary. So he's preparing to retire. And Italy scores early. Uh, Raspadori again. And then they score early in the second half. DeMarco, a beautiful goal. The 15th, the 1,500th goal in the history of Italy soccer. And they win the game 2 nothing. Donnarumma was incredible in the game. He made this triad of saves late. Uh, Mancini said the last 20 minutes were sloppy. He was upset with the last 20 minutes, but the first 70, incredible. They controlled the game. They took that spot in the Nations League. And look at the Nations League. I don't know. People say it's important. People say it's not important. I think it's one of those things when you win it, you say it's very important. When you lose it, you convince everyone it's not important. England was relegated. Uh, they're going to have to go into the B group now. And I know a lot of this is actually tied into qualifying for the next Euro. Uh, so Italy has put themselves into a better position to qualify for the Euro. And also they'll be able to compete for the Nations League trophy against, like I said, Croatia has qualified for it. The Netherlands have qualified for it. Italy has. And then one last team, either Spain or someone. Portugal, Spain or Portugal. So those will be the four teams uh, that will be in that in June. But watching these games really opened the World Cup wound. First of all, the announcers can't talk about anything else. Uh, the entire game, they just talk on and on and on about how Italy did not qualify for the World Cup. So they don't let you forget it, even for a second. You know, Donnarumma makes a save. Oh, that's a fantastic save! But he won't be making that save in Qatar this winter because... Italy did not qualify for the World Cup. Oh, goal, Raspadori! Great goal! A goal he won't be scoring in, in Qatar because they did not make the World Cup. The whole game, that's all anyone talks about. So they don't let you forget it, uh, which is what it is. But here's what really hurts about it. You see the quality that Italy has. These young players that are really blossoming, the... Raspadori's, Noto, uh, Nicolo Barella, Donnarumma. Um, the midfield is stacked with players. Uh, Pobega um, and all the guys who weren't available. And you just think, wow, this is a shame that this team, the champions of Europe, and what they can be won't have a chance to compete. 
in the World Cup. And part of it, of course, I accept is Italy's failure. A perfect storm of too many draws and the bottom line, missing penalties. Jorginho missed a penalty in both of the games against Switzerland. If he makes one of those two, we're in the World Cup. He's 15 for his last 15 for Chelsea. Uh, but he's 0 for his last 3 for Italy. If he makes either one of those, we're in the World Cup. The failure against uh, North Macedonia. You know, Donnarumma lets in a weak goal. Something he should save all the time. And you see his talent yesterday. The saves he made. And think, why couldn't he have just made that save there? How did that happen? And you replay everything in your head. Every lineup. Every result. And it's just, it's really painful. And speaking of pain, you know, my love for Italy soccer is rooted in my love for my grandparents and the culture that they taught me and what it meant to be Italian-American and the struggles that my grandmother made to arrive here right before World War II just so I could be exist. Uh, she was 12 years old and she grabbed her four-year-old sister by the hand and got on a boat and traveled across the Atlantic Ocean alone to meet with her mother at Ellis Island and become a legal immigrant. And she lived here and started a family and gave birth to my mother. And tragically, she died too young on September 23rd, 1995. You know, so last week, Italy played that game uh, against... England on the 27th anniversary of the passing of my grandma. And I thought about her the entire match. And I thought about my great-grandmother, my grandma Xenia, who was sat behind me on a rocking chair watching the finals in 1994 and crying uh, when Italy lost the penalty shootout to Brazil. And in 2006, I returned to her grave after we won in penalties and said, we got it back, Graham. I thought about Xenia and Paula, and I thought about all the Italians who suffered during COVID, and I thought about every. You just think about everything, and it just doesn't seem real. How can Italy, a four-time world champion, two-time champion of Euro, one of the great soccer powers in the history of the world, they have not won a knockout game in the World Cup since the 2006 final. Their next opportunity to do so is at the 2026 World Cup. That will be 20 years difference. 20 years. And they haven't played in a World Cup game uh, since when? 2014. When, uh, what's his name? Suarez bit an Italian player. I think, I think it was, I think it was Benucci. I don't know. He bit somebody. Some outbiting was allowed. But it's been that long since Italy has even played a World Cup game, 2014. And it, it just hurts because I see the quality and I believe in the players, and Chiesa would have been back. You know, and of course, when the reports come out, oh, Chiesa will be available in November, you go and you click on the article and it's all, oh, just in time for the World Cup, ha ha ha. Uh, the failures of not making the World Cup, as many of the players said this weekend, is an open wound that we can't do anything about. And as much as it disappoints me uh, that we won't be in Qatar, as much as it hurts that this group of players at this 
stage of their careers won't be able to compete. There's no choice but to look forward, and the future is very bright. There's a little bit of an issue at Stryker, no doubt about it. And Serie A and the way that they treat Italian players and Italian strikers, it's got to change. There needs to be some fundamental changes. But with Donnarumma, who's only 23 years old, and Raspadori and Noto and Borella and Verratti and all of these players who are less than 25 years old, they'll be ready for the World Cup. And come January, they have two friendlies left this year in November. One's against like Algeria and someone else. Who knows who will be available for those games, who will play and who will not. No one will notice. You know, two friendlies in the midst of the madness of the World Cup international break. I'm sure no one will care. Uh, But when those games are over, the focus is to 2023. And 2023 is a big year. European qualifying will begin. Because remember, the Euros were played a year late because of COVID. So 2024 is the next Euro, uh, which is, you know, what, 18 months away or whatever. Less than two years. And qualifying for that tournament will start. Next year. So the focus needs to shift. We need to get over this. It's horrible. It's the worst. But there's nothing we can do. It happened. There's plenty of blame to go around. The ridiculous qualifying methods. uh, The missed penalties. The disaster against Macedonia. You know, maybe it's too bad we didn't play Southern Macedonia. That might have been a better matchup. But there's nothing we can do about it now. We need to move on from it. And look ahead because the future is bright. There's great players. Um, and the, uh, here's the thing in the end. I watch this team because it makes me feel Italian. It's about culture. It's about family. It's about my roots. It's about honoring them. Uh, the Euros in 2021 is one of the best sports experiences in my life. It created a cultural revolution for me. My daughter and I are playing Scopa. And learning to speak Italian and cook Italian foods better. And, uh, you know, like I said, learning the language and the history and talking about a dream vacation there. And it's about that. You know, it's different. It's different than the Saints or the Sabres or the Sooners or anyone else I cheer for. You know, this is about my lineage, my culture, my family, about my great great grandmother crying on that chair after the. Missed by Baggio about my grandmother who died too young, Paula, who my daughter is now named after, and her courage and her strength. And watching and cheering for the Italian national team allows me to connect with those values and those traditions and the culture. And I get to do it online with all the great Italian accounts like Hardcore Italians, Growing Up Italian, all those different accounts. Uh, creators like Nikki Cass and um, comedians like uh, the other Nick, who's unfortunately name I can't think of, does the great from Chicago, does the great um, uh, Sebastian impression. I don't know why I can't think of his name, but he's great. Uh, it's me who's uh, screwing up, not him. Meals by Coog, you know, Big Joe. All these cool Italian accounts. Uh, and and it's given me a chance to learn more about club football as I follow these guys to their clubs, even though I hate freaking club football. Uh, it drives me nuts um, the way that they... There was a story that the, the Lazio president 
storm the airport to make sure Chiro and Mobley didn't make the trip to Hungary. It's like, you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. Probably isn't going to play anyway. It's ridiculous. But, yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult not to make the World Cup, and I'm upset, and I'm sad about it. Uh, but I'm proud to be Italian. I'm proud to be a second-generation Italian-American. I'm proud to raise my daughter as an Italian, to teach her the values and the traditions of the culture, and uh, to make sure she knows about the grandmother, great-grandmother, and the great-great-grandmother she'll never get to know, uh, and explain to her how heroic they were around World War II. Uh, and props to Italy as well for electing a, a conservative government that believes in family and country and God. And I'm so proud of them. And hopefully the United States will follow here in November in the midterms. Uh, but I'm proud to be Italian. I'm proud to be raising a daughter who's Italian. I'm disappointed that there's no World Cup, but I'm excited for the future because I know it's very, very bright. Yeah.